Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Um, welcome to another episode where I get to speak to amazing people, amazing leaders from around the world. And I've been really looking forward to this particular episode. Now, I met my next guest uh, about, about a month ago, maybe slightly more, when we were both speaking at uh, an event uh, called Birmingham Disrupt HR, which is a really cool event. And we were all challenged as speakers to speak for five minutes and to make sure that we spoke for no longer than five minutes. We had 20 PowerPoint slides, each of which then transitioned. I think it was every 15 seconds. Work out the math. So math is not my strong point. Uh, but it ensured that we stayed bang on track. But I tell you what, I've done a lot of speaking around the world, and this was a real challenge for me. Uh, so it's almost like TEDx on, on crack cocaine or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but Sam said something interesting. And as she was speaking, I'm Sam, and I'm right after Sam. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, she just said this. And uh, I've got to say the opposite. How interesting is this going to be? So without further ado, I want to welcome to the show, Sam Eaton. Sam, good to see you. Good to see you too. And it was one of those moments, wasn't it, where, you know, Disrupt HR is a very inclusive and engaging environment. I think everyone mm. is is open to share their views and open to hear others. And it was just that fantastic moment where you saw me, I saw you, and you said, I'm just about to go on and say the exact opposite. <laughs> and it was just a real moment in time. It was fabulous. So, yes, I've been really looking forward to today. Yeah, so, um, so shall we tell them what it was that you said? So your opening gambit, if I remember, I can't remember word for word, but your opening gambit when you got on was uh, let's stop talking about culture. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and I was and I was literally about to go on and say, let's talk more about culture and stop talking about EDI. And it was just it was a brilliant moment. And <laughs> the thing I loved, you know, I came at it from a point of view that, you know, like you, I travel a lot, right? And I think um when we travel a lot and we meet people outside of our space. One of the things we always recognise, and I know that you and I spoke about it afterwards, was how does my terminology and what I do or what I explain resonate with people around me? And I use the scenario of a recent trip and particularly, say, Virgin, and I fly them a lot, where the word culture doesn't mean anything to them, yeah. Yeah. yet an environment's being created where they are proud even the people that deal with your suitcases and people you don't see 
you can just tell they're happy, they're proud, they're engaged, they're working, they're, you can feel that energy. Um, and when you came on and said, oh my goodness, I'm just about to go on and say we need to talk about culture more, ultimately we were saying the same things, which is we need to communicate. And that was the bit that I loved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, do you know what? These, these are just words, aren't they? And, and words can mean different things for different people. But sometimes you, you, you just find, don't you, that you have to say something that sounds controversial. It isn't really, but it sounds controversial to get the attention because so many organizations still don't get it. We were just talking, weren't yeah. we, uh, just before um, we went live there. And uh, we were talking about how the future of work is reshaping itself. It, it's completely yes. changing. And, and I, I was saying, you know, I find that many, many organizations still out there still don't get it, still don't get it. We've morphed as a society. We've morphed as human beings. You know, you can turn Maslow's hierarchy of needs on its head because we're all different now. And I think particularly since the whole lockdown experience in back in 2020, everyone thinks differently, everyone feels differently, and everyone expects different things in the workplace. Would you agree with that? I could not agree more with that. And, you know, I, I sometimes forget that I'm nearly 50. Um, and I think this is the most exciting time and yeah. the scariest, by the way, because here's some of the fundamentals that I'm grappling with. You know, within the next 15 to 20 years, we're not going to have enough people in the workforce. So we do need to embrace technology. Within the next 15 to 20 years, how we earn money is going to fundamentally change. 100%. We're already seeing... And you're seeing it too with the work that you do. How many people do you know that say, actually, I want to work, you know, work for, a, say, a UK company or an American company, but I want to live in Mexico or Costa Rica, or I want to live in three locations a year, still do my work. How's all that going to work from a tax perspective and then everything else? So many things are are being readdressed. You know, the nine to five is dead and we just need to accept that. Yes, no, I 100% agree with you. I think, I think um, you know, you've touched on a couple of things there. One is uh, the technology. And, of course, you know, everyone's talking about AI and how rapidly that's changing the work. I think it is transforming the world. I'm not entirely sure that it's going to take over the world and replace people in their jobs or in all jobs, as, as uh, many people are suggesting. There's a lot of scaremongering going out there. I see AI as being a resource. And if you, if you use it as a resource and approach it as a resource that actually can benefit uh, humankind in many, many ways. Uh, but there's also this whole concept around money and the digitization of everything that we, we, we know traditionally. And I, I sort of chuckle when you say I'm nearly 50. Well, I'm nearly 60. And here we are, two people. Uh, you much, much younger than I am, but uh, two other twilight of our years. And I'm, I'm still really excited uh, about this incredibly changing world in which we're in which we're living right now. Uh, and often I work with organisations. I was only saying this uh, a few days ago when I was working with a, an HR organisation uh, about uh, their strategic priorities. And we're talking about the VUCA world. Now, when the concept of the VUCA world came in, I think it was around about the 80s, wasn't it? 
but uh, the um, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. But I think it's like 100 miles faster now. It's so, so fast that the dynamics of change are just so much faster. And therefore, we, we as organizations, as leaders, need to be much more responsive. What are you finding in terms of conversations you're having with some of these organizations, these leaders that you work with? Because, of course, you work you know, as founder of MindAbility. You're working with all sorts of organizations around these kind of things. What kind of conversations are going on for you? And the conversations really are are around change, continuous change. You know, 2023, when you look at it, um, and some people will agree and others won't. I fundamentally believe 2023 was harder than 2020. Somehow in 2020, we were less change weary. Not somehow, we were less change weary in 2020. There seems to be more fraction now more people saying, I don't agree with you, and therefore the other person's opinion is wrong. So the conversations are around individuality. What does that organisation need? I've studied future back thinking a lot over the last few years, and that's fundamentally based on how you build a business plan through learning and knowledge. Mm. You don't do present future i we're going to look at today's data and learn in fact it's the reverse and most global companies have been doing this for a long time which is there are indeed right we're going to launch five businesses and out of those five businesses we know only three will work yeah and it goes back to what we were seeing you know when in america all the railroads died off it was because they didn't look up then long came airplanes. The same with horseless, yeah, the same with horseless carriages back in 1898. We've got even more recent examples of this kind of stuff, haven't we? Like, you know, Blockbusters and Woolworths, and, you know, names that resonate with the vast majority of the public. When you fail to look up or fail to look forward or see the breadth or the depth of the future, you're going you're gonna to struggle to adapt, aren't you? Yes. So I think going back to that one, we're in an era of individualism. So that's what a lot of my HR leaders, because obviously we're on the different side of it because we work with, from a business coaching perspective to grow yeah. their businesses. We're, we're looking at things like, what are the challenges? Is it political? Is it climate? What is it? Is it technology? And actually it's more about the opportunity now, which is, the fact that we're living in an era of individualism. Yes. The I fact agree. that just because Amazon on the one hand might say, do you know what? Actually, we are now calling everyone back in to the office. Who would have thought that Amazon would have seen a walkout of over 2000 of their people in Seattle um, up until this year? People are feeling more empowered. Yes, there's a fear, fear out there of money, of inflation, of all of those things, yeah. and unfortunately, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. We are going through a, a, a reset, and reset is is tough, right? But that individualism is where there's opportunity because am I hiring a YouTube specialist for next year or do I now need to look at holographic technology? Is that now mainstream? You know, really stretching that thinking into the future. Let me just pick up on this whole concept of individualism. Because I think this has become uh, more to the forefront uh, uh, from an individual human being perspective. P 
people are practicing individualism a lot more now. Yep. People are standing up uh, for who they believe they are and what they stand for and their values. And you're right. I think you're, you're absolutely right in terms of, I think we're living in a world that's becoming more fractious. It's becoming more partisan. We're seeing this in, in politics now. We're seeing the left and the right of politics stretching out to their extremes, aren't we? Um, and, and it replicates itself into society. We've seen, you know, some of the rhetoric that goes on in this society. But translating this into the workplace, or in your case, you know, working with businesses, it's all too easy, isn't it, for people to hold their head in the hand and say, I can't cope in this environment because I, I can't stretch my thinking to, to, to that level. Don't you think? Completely. And I did a post this week and someone replied, I think it was Saturday or Sunday, to, you know, are you the person that allows it to happen to you? Are you the person that makes it happen or are you the person that fights to make it happen? And I kind of think that certainly I'm a bit of both, which is I will make it happen. And I from 2020 onwards, there's been no rule book. We've created our own rule book and we will continue to do so. Now, 20 years ago, someone at my age and your age, we're we're over the hill. We're done. Mm. Right. We no longer are. We've now, we could work for the next 20 years. In fact, we could make our massive fortunes in the next five. The reason being is because we're in such a world of change and how we earn our money is different. So if anyone is is listening today who's feels stuck in a nine to five, who is worried about their car payments, who is worried about their mortgage, don't. You've got this and you're in utter control of bringing about your change. I love that. I love that. Uh, And I do like the idea of understanding that you can sit in a number of categories when it comes to this incredible change that we're all going through. You can be the person that resists it. You can be the person that accepts it. You can even be the person that leads some of that change, you know. And it really depends yeah. on what your what your mindset is and, and, and whether you're thinking about surviving or thriving in this environment. Uh, and I also love, Sam, you know, the recognition that people of a certain age are no longer, no longer required, uh, surplus to yeah. requirements. You know, they, they no longer, I, I certainly don't feel that. Uh, and I do want to carry on working. You know, I have this philosophy that I want to, want to die while I'm still doing a hundred miles an hour. Well, that's a different story altogether, you know, but it's a bit about this contribution that people of our experience and age can bring to this changing marketplace. And it'd be all too easy to think, wouldn't it? That um, because the world is moving at goodness knows how many miles per hour right now, that people of a certain age can't actually be able to work within that environment because we can't predict what's going to happen. Well, actually, some of our past experience can can inform some of the stuff that's going to go on, or certainly how to cope with some of the changes that, that are likely to hit us in the future, don't you think? And if you think about it, in our work lifetime, well, actually longer than that, I remember when my father came home with the first brick. You remember? That really heavy phone. And can you imagine today if you had one of those original phones in the car I mean particularly with your background Mm -hmm. and I got pulled over what are you doing madam well I've gone back to old antiquated phones you know you're not even allowed to pick up a phone in a car anymore and yet that was marketed as something that was cool and trendy 
30 odd years ago. So we've seen this change, microwaves, phones, all of these other things. We've lived it, we've breathed it, we've had to adapt. We've, we've also had to make sure, make sure that we've maintained our intellectual independence. Mm. And again, I had a great conversation this weekend when someone was saying, oh, you know, chat GPT, a little bit scary. I want to maintain my, my thought process, my individuality. Completely understand that and completely agree. But I also disagree. And I likened it to when we first had maps on our mobile phone. And I remember years ago working for an organisation and someone didn't understand location-based services mm. and thought it would be a great way to help a local farmer find their sheep. I'll leave that there. My point is we had to go from learning how to read a map to, oh, my goodness, I can do it on my phone. But we still have both talents today, and I liken it to that. And, you know, I've never really thought of it in this context that this generation that we're a part of, um, has probably seen the most change in their lifetime than any other generation. Because as you quite rightly point out, you know, I remember from when I was a, a child, we did, we had those tape to tape, those reel to reel, uh, uh, uh sort of, uh, music players in the home. You, can you remember the big ones with the big reels? Yeah. And we've gone through that to cassette tapes, through to CD players, through to DVD players, through to now digital music, just as an example. And the change that we've seen in so much of our lives from mobile phones and communication and technology from, you know, I remember when computers were first introduced into schools. So I remember a life <laughs> before computers in schools. How crazy is that when I think about it? So I think there's a, a depth and breadth that we can bring to the discussion, to the debate right now that can add some richness to the debate and also help us better prepare for the future. And, and there is something around, I think, um, understanding that when you talk about diversity, you know, very often, and this is my little bugbear with diversity and EDI, is that we very often homogenize people. We say, you know, older people up there, and, uh, younger people think like this, or generation X, Y, Z think like this, uh, uh, women think like this, and people from uh, uh, people of color think like this. And I just find that so problematic and so almost irresponsible thinking in the sense that everybody comes from a different perspective and different pathway in their life. Therefore, every single person is individualistic. And I think this is one of the biggest shakeups that we really need to get our heads around because you talked about individualism. And I, when I look at human beings, I think individualism because I think we're becoming more and more as separate individuals, we're becoming much, much more individualistic. And the workplace needs to be prepared for that. So it might shake up the whole way that we've approached EDI for certainly the last 30, 40 years, which is one of the things that I'm really trying to stress with organisations. What do you think on that? I love it. Um, and, and here's why. I know that I have more energy now than I had in my 20s. I am more curious and more thirsty to learn than I ever have been. I have a team around me who are from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, can't say that word, mm. um, education, sexual orientation, religion. But the bottom line is I want to know their opinion. It doesn't necessarily mean I'll always 
take their advice, but I will explain why and we'll come up with that happy medium. Yeah. I also know people my age who are looking to retire. They've had enough. They don't like it. They don't like what's going on in the world um, and they want to shut down. I know young people who don't want to buy a car, who don't want to travel. I know similar people who want to be on a plane and be a digital nomad. You yeah. are absolutely right. By making an assumption that, you know, your generation X, Y, Z, you're a baby boomer, therefore you think like this. You're a white middle-aged woman. You should think like this. Don't tell me how to think. I, I think you've just given some really, really great examples there of how people are thinking in separate ways, in different ways, in ways that we would never have imagined, you know, maybe even 10 years, 15 years before, let alone yeah. 30 years ago. So let, let's just talk about the whole concept of this future workplace of business, of organisations. What kind of leaders do you think we need going forward? That's a big question, really. The bottom line is they all need to be curious and unafraid of change. And I know that's not a word, but it is a thing and it needs mm. to be a word. Um, but that curiosity, my goodness, that's that's at the core of it. Here's where we need. So it goes back to that future back thinking. Here's where we need our business to be. And again, I listened to a great podcast last week where they were saying, why don't we look at our businesses in a hundred years time? And yeah. it blew my mind. I thought, whoa, where can my business be in a hundred years time? Will I be here? Who knows? We might have technology that I can be. It might not be such <laughs> a mad statement after all. Yeah. But here's the thing. If we had that level of curiosity in our leadership, if we had that level of flexibility and also being humble. Yeah. You know, I know that part of leadership means that you need to be reassured. And sometimes people see that as ego, but that curiosity, that flexibility, that's what's going to drive a business forward and making sure that we don't, no one person has ever had the answers, even less so today. I do love this idea of, uh, you know, for leaders to become more human, to become, as you say, more humble. Uh, but uh, the other key word that you, you've used a couple of times now is curious. And I think if we're not constantly curious as leaders, then we can either miss a trick that's going to happen in the future, or we are going to fall short of our mark. Uh, because we can see how fast the world is developing right now. Just in the last three years since COVID, since the whole lockdown, we can see how the workplace has changed, or certainly how the people within the workplace has changed. And organizations that are waking up to it are the organizations that, that resonate less with or experience less of that whole great resignation, quiet quitting, and all the other terms that have been introduced over the last few years. They understand the importance of psychological safety for individuals who are now becoming more individualistic and much more value-driven. These are all the kind of terms that we didn't really use just three or four years ago. You know, these are the kind of terms that are being used now. And throw into the mix things like digitization, things like uh, office automation and uh, AI and all of this kind of stuff as well. 
it's a really, really complex world going forward, but also a very exciting world going forward. It is. But here's the thing. We can make this world as complex as we like. We can make this world as simple as we like. We've got to stop with these labels of great resignation, quiet quitting, because you know what? If you actually look at the facts and speak to the specialists in these areas, it's always happened. You know, it's it's always happened. People are fed up with their jobs. They have to do a certain job because they have to earn a certain amount of money. That's a mindset. People are fed up with the leadership, but are too in fear of saying anything. That's mm. a culture. One thing, my huge wish for 2024 is that we stop with the labels already. Um, just like some of the initial psychometric tests and you'll know this from your great work you go in there and someone say oh i, mm. I can't do that i'm a blue i'm a blue blues don't do that and and really you know when we do these kind of tests it's it's not to identify what you can and can't do it's really to identify how you can utilize who you are to have yes. better communication and better connection with other people and fundamentally everything is about connection fundamentally i talk about relationship building Fundamentally, that's what it's all about for me. Uh, and you talk about the word connection. And it, it really is, I think that's the world that we're moving into. Uh, and, and actually, the ability to connect with the people around you and the work, the environment around you has always been such a powerful skill. Even from the times that, you know, before computers, when, when I was fresh into the police service 40 years ago, for this sake, you know, being able to connect with other people is really, really important, was really important and still is very, very important, don't you think? Well, actually, I would say that your skill set and your experience is needed now more than it ever has been. Um, because in some ways we're coming full circle. And What do I mean by that? We yeah. are, in our lifetime, we've seen these great, Beasts of corporates grow so much so that they they have more money than a small country. And that is a little bit scary. And we're seeing so much of that dismantle. I'm not saying it'll all dismantle, but this is part mm -hmm. of the change. And we're going back to how it was in the 70s and 80s, where entrepreneurialism was something that was celebrated rather than slightly controversial that you have with our current government that does nothing to small, support the small businesses. Um, you know, we have to look after ourselves. We have thriving communities that do so. So we are seeing more of that come about. But with that, great communication and relationships are required. We're now seeing small businesses who collaborate and as a result of that collaboration can go into a Microsoft or a Google or an Amazon, many other FTSE 100s um, and 50s and get get great contracts. Now, you wouldn't see that two years ago. Yeah. So that is a positive change, but that requires great communication and also goes back to that whole flexibility and curiosity piece as well. Oh, I love that. Uh, and and th these are real examples that you're talking about there, you know, this whole example of uh, small uh, entrepreneurial organizations collaborating with other small entrepreneurial organizations uh, and then therefore being have, able to have a larger voice to go to the larger corporations to bid for work 
uh, work which would traditionally have been given out to the, the, tr the same old, same old large organization. Therefore, you get the same back from that. Uh, I, I love that. And I've been doing a, a bit of that myself. Uh, I want to touch on something else. And this is something that you're specifically involved in. It's probably my last question, really. But you're, you're involved in a lot of small businesses, helping them to grow, helping them to connect, helping them to see the future and prepare and, uh, and, and all of these things for the future. What happens when an entrepreneurial organization or entrepreneur themselves uh, starts experiencing rapid growth because they're doing all the right things, that they're, they're, they're in this space and they're just experiencing this rapid growth? Uh, and therefore, their team start to explode. I was talking to an organization like that who has grown like 300% just in the last two years. Now, that's fantastic work, isn't it? It's really exciting. But with it also comes some real dangers or some areas that you really need to pay attention to. What would your advice be to anyone who might be listening to this podcast right now who is experiencing this incredible rapid growth but now is worried about how they're going to hold it all together? Great question. Um, and I am very privileged to have worked with a large number of clients, both UK and stateside this year, in exactly the same position. My advice would always be, be on your business from a financial point of view. And what does that mean? Don't yeah. just rely on your accountant. Get yourself a fractional CFO that'll help plan forward. Understand your burn rate and capacity rate of your team. What is that like and who do you need? So really look mm. at your business. If you're here now and you've got these contracts coming in, who do you need in the next three, four, five and six months? What does that look like beyond? So being able to do that is a, is a huge opportunity for growth in terms of bringing on new people. And on that, do you want full time, part time or contractors? The right. next part of that is how do you reward everyone? What do they want and what does a great experience look like for, for the team? And get your their feedback in terms of how can you do better next time with bringing on new people. So it's all about looking forward, getting that collaboration and all of that good stuff. Brilliant nuggets of gold there. Uh, I hope uh, the listeners out there who are going through this are experiencing that rapid growth or maybe concerned slightly. Uh, well, you know exactly who you need to reach out to. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today uh, for this incredible conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.